I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, 14 through 18, and 35 through 42. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of only father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? 
He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and asked him, We have found the Messiah. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas. The word of God for the people of God. So I wonder, friends, have you ever heard someone confidently asserting this or that about God down to the most like striking and exact detail? Have you ever heard someone talk about God in such detail and thought, who in the world are you to know that? Or maybe it was the complete opposite for you. Maybe you've heard someone going on and on with great conviction about how it's all just this giant cosmic ball that we're in and how could how could any human ever claim to actually know anything at all about God on the one hand your friend who seems to know it all their certainty is unnerving but then on the other hand too much ambiguity about who God is doesn't sit right with you either in both cases, there's, there's what the person is, is saying, and then there's how they're saying it. Take into account my cousin Greg. So he, he's always been that quiet, reserved guy amidst all of us loud girls in the family. But this past Thanksgiving and Christmas, we learned that Greg is dating someone like seeing someone seriously. And you know, in all of Greg's mysteriousness, all of us girls just wanna know all the details. And, and Greg isn't gonna gush on and on about these kinds of things, it's, that's not him, but, but imagine we swoop in as we would, in it. we swoop in to get the scoop and we ask Greg, Greg, we heard about Lori. Tell us about Lori. And Greg responds, well, she's five foot two and she drives a Toyota and she wears an eight and a half shoe and she was born in Tennessee and she is right-handed. Oh, and she's a part of a bowling league that meets every fourth Tuesday, but not definitely not in those months where there's five Tuesdays in the month and she hates mushrooms. Imagine this silly scenario. Imagine that that's Greg's response. And, and we know that at some point, while Greg is telling us girls about Lori in this case, we think to ourselves, dude, this is strange. And we don't think this because Greg is in any way lying about Lori or avoiding the question about Lori, or, or, but in fact, because he, he's telling the truth about Lori, but telling things that can be objectively proven as true about her and someone who is smitten, someone who's in a serious relationship that we want all the scoop about, someone like Greg who was even rumor-hatted in my family gonna propose, doesn't feel the need to tell you whether or not his beau likes mushrooms. Or let's say your, your car has 
been acting up like mine has lately and you take it to the dealership and the mechanic looks under the hood and takes it for a drive around the block and then comes back to the waiting room and tells you that the car it's in a really bad mood and has clearly got some issues and th this is not helpful to you at all because you want to know exactly what is wrong with it exactly what what parts need to be ordered how long will it take to fix how much it's all gonna cost in the end the, the reason that greg's hypothetical description of lori is so unsatisfying and, and the, the reason the mechanic's hypothetical diagnosis is so unsatisfying are the same reasons why your friend who who seems to know everything to know about god and your friend who doesn't seem to believe we can know anything at all about god why these are also also unsatisfying to us and that's because there are there are different kinds of language for different kinds of reasons. There, there is technical and precise language, the kind of language we, we hope that our mechanic will use to be as objective as possible in naming exactly what is wrong, describing precisely what is needed in this case. And then there is the kind of language we hope, we expect Greg to use. Like, I feel like I've finally found my other half. Precise language has its limits. It can describe some things very well. But, but in other situations like, like love, it is just so inadequate. When we're betrayed, we say it feels like we have been kicked in the stomach when our child takes her, her first steps, we say that we're just over the moon. When the, when the DJ plays your song, the one night you were out, you say, man, she, she lit the place on fire tonight. And, and we know, we know we're not, we weren't actually kicked in the stomach or we weren't actually over the moon. And the building wasn't on fire, but these intense experiences and extreme situations are like, like great pain or unspeakable joy. They need extreme, larger than life language because other kinds of words and phrases just aren't enough. Language has this way of, of soaring and then and then dipping and sometimes it gets right to the point and other times it goes on and on and on with flowery flair. Sometimes it describes accurately and completely complex and detailed concepts and, and, and mechanisms and processes and, and other times language just is not enough. Sometimes there, there aren't words. Language fails and we're just speechless. And that's why when we talk about God, we have to use language that employs this vast array of words and phrases and forms to describe a reality that is so beyond words and phrases and forms. 
One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in the book of Exodus, the story of Moses. And there's this moment, there's this moment when God tells Moses to hide along a section of the rock because God is going to pass by and Moses is going to get to see God's back. The same Moses later reminds the Hebrew people that when when they experienced God, they saw no form of any kind. So which is it? Does God appear in forms we can see in bodies with backs? Or is God unmoldable and without form of any kind? Which brings us to our scripture that Jillian read for us today. Did you hear it? And in the first chapter of John's gospel, it's written that God is the one who dwells in unapproachable light who no one has seen or can see. There are, there are limits to certainty because God, it's repeated again and again and again, is spirit and spirit has no shape, has no form. As Jesus said, spirit is like the wind. It comes and it goes and it blows where it pleases. Words and images, they point us to God. They help us understand the divine, but they are not God. For example, gender. In the ancient world, it was observed that a woman became pregnant only when she'd been with a man. It was assumed then, based on primitive, limited understandings of biology, that the man's contribution must be the essence of the life force, and the woman's place then is where the life force is carried and held and nurtured, right? God, it was believed, was was the life force of the world. And so God must be male. God must be like a father, right? Or take early agricultural settings where, where women used to, to use hoes to break up the ground for, for planting. Women in those cultures were responsible for putting food on the table. And so the gods in those cultures were generally understood to be female. But then the plow was invented, which was pulled by an animal. And when women used this new invention, it required significantly more physical effort. And the result was miscarriage rates increased. And so men took over working the plow, which led to the gods being perceived again as male. And these forms and expressions, they come and they go over time because our conceptions of God and the images we use to picture and explain those conceptions are deeply shaped by the patterns and technologies and customs of the world that we live in. 
And so there are masculine images for God. Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven, and there are feminine images for God. The prophet Isaiah quotes God saying, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? I will not forget you, though she may forget. When God is described as both father and mother, both potter and rock, both fortress and, and warrior, when God is described as both refuge and, and strength, both friend and lawgiver, when God is described as both, the writers are, are taking something that we have seen, something they've experienced, and they're, they're essentially saying God is like that. It's this attempt to put that which is entirely beyond language into a frame and a form that we can grasp. And, and none of these images contain God in a way a word about God or a doctrine about God or a dogma about God is not about God, but only point to God. And so because of this, when we talk about God, we often find ourselves in the middle of one paradox or another, don't we? We're, we're talking about both our, our brushes with spirit and our awareness of, of the reverence that is humming within us. We're talking about both our sense of of nearness to God and our sense of farness from God. We're talking about both that which we can know and that which is completely unknown to us, both words and silence, both answers and, and questions, both that which is deeply mysterious and ambiguous and that which is right in front of us as plain as day. And the problem for us in this is that the dominant consciousness of our world continues to, to perceive and process reality in mostly either-or categories, right? The world wants to know whose side you are on. The world wants to know which one is the answer, how the tension is going to be resolved in the end, how the paradox will be eliminated. But some truths just don't work this way. Some truths don't fit in this 20-second soundbite, do they? Faith, faith we know can't. And yet for many people, the opposite of faith is doubt with the goal of faith being to eliminate all doubt, but, but faith and doubt aren't opposites. Doubt is the sign that your faith has a pulse, that, that, that it's alive and well and exploring and searching. Faith and doubt aren't opposites. They are, it actually turns out, dance partners. When it, when it comes to the, the bothness, the paradox of God. Fundamentalism shouldn't surprise us. 
When some leader comes along who eliminates all the tension and dodges all the paradoxes and neatly and precisely explains who the enemies are and gives black and white answers to questions, leaving no room at all for, for, for the very real mystery of the divine, it, it shouldn't surprise us when they gain a big audience, right? Certain, certainty is easier and it's faster and it's awesome for fundraising and, 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 and it often generates large amounts of energy because who doesn't want to be right? But God is always and has always been both. And one of the most urgent questions we can ask about the nature of God and the nature of faith is, is, is can deep conviction about who God is and, and humility coexist? Can they be the dance partners that we need them to be? And they can. They can. I have seen it. The bothness of God can mold us into our own postures of bothness until we pay as much attention to how we're talking about God as to what we're saying about God. And it requires us to not dodge the paradoxes and unresolved tensions of our, of our own lives. To not, to not dodge the paradoxes, the nearness and the distance, the, the words and the silence, the suffering and the joy, the blessing and the pain, the things we, we, we want to believe about God and the things we just can't make sense of. It requires us to not dodge it all but to hold these experiences with both conviction and humility. Which brings me back, friends, to the good news, the paradox, the bothness at the heart of John's gospel, at the heart of John 1. John says, the word which was God was in the beginning, this unapproachable light that shines in the darkness and cannot be overcome and this God is formless mystery for no one has ever seen this God. John pontificates about the mysterious formless distance of God. But then, did you hear it? Then John gets personal. The story the story zooms in on day to day as a disciple of Jesus. And John says this word, which was with God in the beginning, this unapproachable light, which can never be seen, happened to just walk by him in the person of Jesus. This mysterious, formless distance of God, the silent, unapproachable light comes comes near in Jesus and it speaks to him and it calls him by name and says, John, come and see. Says, says Simon, come and see. It calls him by name. And in Jesus, John saw what could not be seen. 
In Jesus, John heard what could not be heard. In Jesus, Peter knew what could not be, not be known. And in Jesus, this God became both, both mysterious divinity and understandable humanity. In Jesus, this mysterious, formless, distant God, this silent, unapproachable light comes even to you and speaks to you and calls you by name and says, won't you, won't you come and see? I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Kingstown Communion. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Robin Morissette. This morning, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my experience with God as both. I was raised in the Methodist Church with two parents who had a strong belief in God. My mother had one of the strongest relationships with God I had ever seen. My struggle with God as both began when I was in high school, my sophomore year, when my mother was diagnosed with cancer. I had a hard time understanding how my mother could continue to have the faith that she had in God, where I did not feel him near me. The struggle became stronger my senior year of high school when my mother passed away. Despite people telling me that God was there for me, I felt very alone and felt him nowhere near. The feelings drove me away from the church. My struggles with God as both continued in my 30s when I myself was diagnosed with cancer. I listened for God and for ways to make sense of what was going on, but only heard the silence. Eventually, I found my way back to church and to the Kingstown Communion. I have learned more about God as both, and I do feel my relationship with God is closer now. However, this spring, the struggle with God as both returned. During the height of the pandemic, my beloved Nana died. Due to the travel restrictions, I could not travel home to say goodbye and be with my family. Again, I felt the confusion of God both here and not. But this time was different. My family at the Kingstown Communion helped me to make better sense of my feelings. So friends, this is what I have known. My faith is that, although I continue to struggle, as I lean on my faith and not my understanding, my struggle will be less and my assurance is more. Friends, I offer you a prayer this morning that a friend offered to me during my difficult times. My prayer for each of you is that in your struggle, you will find God not in your understanding, but in your faith. I miss you all, and I hope you're safe and healthy. At the table of the Lord, there is peace at the table.